everyone, this is Henry Volk, and you're listening to Theology Perspective, the podcast about Pentecostal theology. Um, I thought I would go with a little new uh, opening and ending music here. That's a little Green Day. So, been talking about God. Who is God? Went over some stuff from the Pentecostal Catechism in the last episode. Today we're going to be delving into some Aquinas. Aquinas and um, Aquinas is the man I I really dig old Tommy Aquinas Aquinas is the bomb he is the theological big dog so to speak and so uh, like I said last episode we talked about God now we're going to talk about uh, the existence of God how do we know God exists at least according to classical theism So, Thomas Aquinas was the theological giant of the Middle Ages, Um, the greatest uh, medieval theologian, perhaps the greatest theologian ever, unless you really dig Karl Barth, and Karl Barth's like the greatest thing since sliced bread. Either way, both are cool, but Aquinas, um, it's actually very... uh, interesting interesting story uh, Aquinas wanted to be a monk and he wanted to join the Dominicans and, and the Dominicans were uh, maybe not the most respected uh, monastic order in the church at the time so you know, they were fairly new but the thing was that you know, the Dominicans of course had the vow of poverty but they were basically just like preachers and they went around preaching and so uh, Thomas was just set on becoming a, a Dominican monk and uh, to keep him from doing this because he came from a more prestige, uh, prestigious family uh, his brothers decided to hire a prostitute to, to jump in his bed one night <laughs> hoping to um, detour him with the lust of the flesh uh, somehow maybe soil him so he would go on to be, have a prosperous career doing something else but monkery and of course it didn't work and Thomas went on and became one of the greatest theologians uh, that the church and the world has ever known now Aquinas wrote three main works uh, his biggest work is the Summa Theologica which is what we're going to be dealing with today and I have only scratched the surface of the Summa Theologica it is a massive 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 work um the edition i have is like five volumes and they're just packed full uh you know like i'm looking at this thing and there's like no margins it's all text you know small text not much white space at all in this thing and it's each volume's nice and thick and hearty massive work then he also wrote the uh summa contra gentiles and the uh, Compendium Theologiae, or the Compendium of Theology. This was the first book I ever read by Aquinas. And uh, everyone should go out and get a copy of the uh, Compendium Theologiae. It's actually online if you want to get it for free. It's short. Um, You know, it's about... The the entire Compendium is about uh, as lengthy as one volume of the Summa probably a little bit less lengthy 
is one volume of the Summa Theologica. And anyways, Aquinas, uh, what, what made Aquinas uh, so popular was his uh, attempt and successful attempt rather at synthesizing Catholic theology and Aristotelian metaphysics. And so basically what, what Thomas did was not only alter uh, the history of theology and forever forever and especially the history of Roman Catholic theology but he also produced a new theological philosophical system called Thomism and and basically Thomas's influence um, can be felt all throughout early Protestantism there was because Thomas's Thomas was uh, known as what is called a scholastic theologian I probably butchered that sentence but but anyways scholastic theology really um, revolves around Thomas's thought and is greatly influenced by it even the Protestant scholastics and so if you read for instance like the Lutheran scholastics or the reformed scholastics when it comes to their doctrine of God there's going to be definitely some stuff in common with Aquinas for sure, for sure. And of course, Thomas, uh, in your synthesizing Catholic theology and Aristotelian metaphysics, uh, borrowed a lot from Aristotle, especially with regards to Aristotle's understanding of God, and especially Aristotle's argument for God's existence. And we'll get into that too. Uh, when we start reviewing Aquinas here. So Aquinas uh, basically proposed that there are, there are five ways to know that God exists. Now, unlike earlier theology, which primarily uh, relied on what's called the ontological argument, this is an argument coming from St. Anselm. I believe I talked about this in one of the past episodes. Anselm said that God, that God, excuse me, um, it's basically the, um, I'm trying to think how to say this. God is, is basically the highest being, the highest form of being. That if you can think about, um, a, a being so great and, and powerful and above all things, that somehow that God must exist, but even then, that's not really that God, because that God is is greater and above anything we could think. And and that's that was basically his argument. It's it's actually a very decent argument because it, it basically shows how God is actually he transcends our understanding of him. That he transcends what we can what we can think about him, etc. However, Thomas was dissatisfied with this argument, and he proposed these five ways to know that God exists. And so, the first of these ways is called the argument from, from motion or the first mover argument. Now, this was an argument he got from Aristotle, and it is more or less contingent upon it, you know, the Aristotelian or medieval view of the world. But nevertheless, it's still a decent argument uh, for God's existence. And basically, um, this is in the the uh, Summa 
Theologica. Uh, basically, the, the argue, argument from motion is this, is that everything is in motion, and things are in motion have to be put in motion. It's this cause and effect principle. So nothing moves spontaneously. There has to be something acting upon it to put it into motion. And, uh, Thomas argues that God is this first mover. And, and basically, this is what Thomas says. Therefore, whatever is in motion must be put in motion by another. If that which is put in motion by its... Oh, sorry. If that which is... If that which it is put in motion be itself put in motion, then this also must needs be put in motion by another, and that by another again. But this cannot go on to infinity, because there would be no first mover, and consequently no other mover, seeing that subsequent movers move only inasmuch as they are put in motion by the first mover. As the staff moves only because it is put in motion by the hand, therefore it is necessary to arrive at a first mover put in motion by no one, and this everyone understands to be God. Therefore God is uh, immobile. Basically no one put God into motion, um, which is weird to think about God being in motion anyways. But basically because everything moves, Something had to start all of the movement. That's basically the argument. And this comes from Aristotle. And the second one also, and this is the uh, basically the argument from uh, cause and effect, or, or the efficient cause. And basically it's, it's this idea that there had to be a first cause. Uh, because every effect has a cause, and we live in a world of effects, and we know that effects have causes. And therefore God is the efficient cause of all things. So this is what Thomas says. The second way is from the nature of the efficient cause. In the world of sense we find there is an order of efficient causes. There is no case known, neither is it indeed possible, in which a thing is found to be the efficient cause of itself, for so it would be prior to itself, which is impossible. Now, in efficient causes, it is not possible to go on to infinity, because in all efficient causes following an order, the first is the cause of the immediate cause, and the immediate cause, or, my apologies, and the immediate is the cause of the ultimate cause. Whether the immediate cause be several or only one, now to take away the cause is to take away the effect. Therefore, if there be no first cause among efficient causes, there will be no ultimate nor any intermediate cause. But if in efficient causes it is possible to go on into infinity, there will be no first efficient cause, neither will there be an ultimate effect nor any intermediate efficient causes, all of which is plainly false. Therefore it is necessary to admit a first efficient cause to which everyone gives the name of God. Now we see what Thomas is doing here. Uh, Thomas isn't arguing from the stance of, well, um, we know this about God and we know this about God, therefore, no, Thomas is saying, look at the world, 
we know things work this way and we know there has to be a root at the beginning of all these things and this root we call God and so he is um, these are basically all a posteriori, a posteriori arguments not um, a priori arguments now the third way is basically the the argument from contingency or, or possibility and so basically this argument just to sum it up this is you, you see these terms a lot in Thomas uh, that is potent or potency and act or actuality and basically uh, just to summarize this things that have potency have potential meaning they can change and they are moving towards actuality so let's say I have three choices uh, for what I can eat for dinner tonight I can eat a ham sandwich I can eat fried chicken or I can have a burrito these are all potential choices I can make so therefore these three things are all in potency they can be my dinner they are my dinner but only in potency and when I choose which one I eat, that becomes the actual dinner. So if I choose the burrito, then my burrito has transitioned from being a potential dinner or having potency to actual, to, to act, to actuality, has become my actual dinner. And so all created things, according to Thomas, are in this state of potency to act potency to act they're in a state of flux in a state of change from potency to act and therefore since God is immutable he is pure act he is pure actuality there is nothing potential for God he is completely actualized so Thomas says uh, therefore not all beings are merely possible but there must exist something the existence of which is necessary God is the necessary being it is not potent it's not it's not moving towards actuality meaning that it may be unnecessary but God is the necessary being but every necessary thing either has its necessity caused by another or not now it is impossible to go on to infinity and necessary things which have their necessity caused by another as has already been proved in regard to efficient causes therefore we cannot but postulate the existence of some being having of itself its own necessity and not receiving it from another but rather causing in others their necessity and this all men speak of as God and so that's the argument from <laughs> um, contingency that the God is pure actuality he's the necessary being now the fourth way is uh, the argument by degrees now Thomas says that basically we, we can think of qualities in things and we can kind of think of a, a, a hierarchy of qualities in that some things are better than others you know, so I can look at a tree and say, well, 
both trees may be beautiful but this tree is more beautiful maybe it's more manicured maybe it's has all of its limbs intact and therefore this tree has more of more degrees of beauty than this tree this other tree which maybe has some defects and doesn't look quite as good as the other tree now Thomas says among beings there are some more and some less good true noble and the like but more and less are predicated of different things according as they resemble in their different ways something which is the maximum as a thing is said to be hotter according as it more nearly resembles that which is hottest and so that there is something which is truest something best something noblest and consequently something which is uttermost being for those things that are greatest in truth or greatest in being as it is written in the metaphysics too now the uh, now the maximum in any genus or genus however you pronounce it is the cause of all in that gayness as fire which is the maximum of heat is the cause of all hot things now this is where it gets uh, <laughs> a, a little uh, a little scientifically um, a little scientifically off we, we understand that the fire itself isn't uh, in all hot things uh, this goes back to uh, some of the metaphysical presuppositions at the time um, and therefore there must be something which is to all beings the cause of their being goodness and every other perfection and this we call God now the last argument this is the fifth argument in Thomas's in Thomas's five ways it's called the teleological argument and basically the teleological argument points to the end of all things all things you know there basically has to be a purpose for everything and so Thomas says we see that things which lack intelligence such as natural bodies act for an end and this is evident from their acting always or nearly always in the same way so as to obtain the best result hence it is plain that not only fortuitously but designedly do they achieve their end now whatever lacks intelligence cannot move towards an end unless it be directed by some being endowed with knowledge and intelligence as the arrow is shot to its mark by the archer therefore some intelligent being exists by whom all natural things are directed towards their end and this being we call God now these are Thomas's five ways these are his five proofs for God they're not foolproof obviously there are people who take fault with them but as far as understanding uh, from a purely logical way how do we know God exists um, uh, my cat's on the table <laughs> uh, we can look to these arguments and see okay just naturally just reasonably we can understand how God exists by the world around us how we know things to work and operate we know that in fact uh, nature and reason points us to this belief in God and this is basically Thomas's five ways that you know, they're not like 
this is what the Bible says. Like I said, it's not based on these presuppositions. It's based on uh, logic and reason and what we can um, you know, find out by observing nature. And so that's just my, my kind of brief introduction to Aquinas. Uh, you know, brief introduction to the five ways. There's much more that can be said about each one of these arguments. But as far as classical theism is concerned... Um, of course, Thomas is the theologian when it comes to classical the, uh, classical theism. But these are the, the classic arguments for the existence of God. So I hope it's been a blessing. My name's Henry Volk. This is Theology in Perspective. Be blessed. Be awesome. The footsteps that were next to me have gone their separate ways. I've seen enough now to know that beautiful things don't always stay that way. I've done enough now to know this beautiful place isn't everything they say.